Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time to worship you, to praise you, to declare your excellencies. And Lord, we thank you for the time that you have given us now to be in your word. And I pray that you'd uh, prepare our hearts, that we would hear and understand what you intended, that we would respond as you desire, so that you would be glorified. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, we have a lot of things to fear as human beings. Different situations come upon us. We fear those things. Uh, there's an unstable world right now. All kinds of crazy things going on. Who knows what might happen? Uh, there's disease and trouble and trials and wars. And uh, there's bad people out there. We have a lot of things that we can certainly fear. Now, we as believers, we, we learn and understand that Jesus Christ is sovereign, that he is in control of the circumstances that he allows. And as we understand that, our fears of things begin to become less and less as we trust him, as we give over those anxieties and worries to him. But there's one area that we tend to fear in that I believe today we're going to see and be encouraged uh, not to fear in, and that is sharing the gospel. You see, right now, we as Americans, we don't have a valid fear of being persecuted for sharing the gospel, by the way. We're not going to go to jail for sharing the gospel. We're not going to die for sharing the gospel. But on the other hand, I think we can all fear how someone might respond when we share the truth with them. We can all fear that, maybe based on previous uh, uh, situations, maybe based on what we've seen. But we can temp- be tempted to fear and sometimes Maybe when the Lord is prompting, not share what he wants us to share. Well, today we're going to see how we can endure the difficulties of life for following Christ. And within that, that God uses those difficulties to encourage us to not be fearful, but to trust him and to look for and step through as he leads those open doors to share the gospel. Today we're looking at Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 18. So would you turn in your Bibles with me to this passage today? Now again, the context of Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul had come to Philippi in 52 AD, 20 years after Pentecost, and after sharing the gospel with Lydia and her family and the Philippian jailer and his family, the church was formed. And we see within that that this Philippian church was very close to the Apostle Paul. We'll see that later on in chapter 4 that they were concerned about him. They even sent chapter 2 Epaphras to, to minister to his needs while he was in prison. And by the way, the Apostle Paul at this time was in prison in Rome. He was under a house arrest, chained to a, a Roman guard 24-7. Now within this, we know that the Philippians loved the Apostle Paul and they were concerned about him. They had provided gifts for him when no other church had provided gifts. They loved the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul loved them. And Philippians is one of the four prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, written probably around 62-ish A.D., about 10 years after uh, the church had begun. Now, as we've been looking in the book of Philippians, there are some wonderful themes throughout this book that we see that, that we need to keep in mind as we look at the smaller pieces of this book. First of all, in chapter 1, as we're going to see, Lord willing, next week, Christ is our life. He is our life. To live is Christ. And we'll see in chapter 2, he's our perfect example of obedient humility. God who took on human flesh, the suffering servant who is, because of who he is and what he has done, going to have before him every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. In chapter C, 3, C, chapter three we see that he is our focus. He is everything, that gaining a true intimate knowledge of him is everything. Paul considered everything else is lost than, than the true relational knowledge of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing him, and then becoming like him, that goal, pressing on toward that heavenly goal. And in chapter 4, we see that he is the one that we stand firm in. He is the one, if we will allow him to, will guard our hearts uh, with his peace, as we, we bring our petitions before him and we're tempted to be anxious. He is the one in which we keep our focus upon. And in him we can do all things. And he is the one who strengthens 
us. And lastly, we see that he is the one who will supply all our needs. God will supply it through Christ, all our needs in Christ Jesus. And throughout this book, there's much reason to rejoice because of who Christ is and what he has done. And it's so easy when we go through the difficulties of life to forget those things and to become sidetracked and emotionally brought down maybe because of the difficulties that come before us rather than truly what's really going on in Christ for true believers. So with that in mind, uh, this letter is about Christ. This letter is about a wonderful Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. So rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I hope we have been encouraged as we've seen Paul's introduction so far and that uh, he is he is overjoyed when he thinks of these Philippians and he prays for them. He is thankful for them and he is confident that God will complete his work in them. And we saw last week as he prayed for them, he prayed that their love in Christ would abound more and more in true knowledge and discernment. That we would be able in the Spirit to make right choices that ultimately glorify God. And it's from this point that we come to our passage today where Paul actually begins his correspondence with these Philippians. So would you turn your Bibles again, if you haven't already, to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at 12, verses 12 through through 18. And again, I think we're going to see how we can endure the difficulties of life that, that come... For following Jesus Christ, those difficulties that come as we, as we see and, and gain some perspective from the Apostle Paul inspired by the Spirit. So with this in mind, let's read our passage. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now we're going to stop there and and look at this portion and we'll move through to verse 18 as we go. But I think, first of all, how we can endure those difficulties that come upon us for following Jesus. We need to realize that God allows these circumstances in our lives. And the Apostle Paul understood that God was using the circumstances for something grand, for something glorious. So as we begin, notice he says here in verse 12, now I want you to know, brethren. So let's make some general observations. He's talking to the brethren. He's speaking to Philippian believers. They are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have become family members in God's family. They are those, as Paul would say earlier, who are saints in Christ Jesus, verse 1. They are those who were set apart to God from sin to God. They were redeemed, they were saved, they were forgiven through the blood of Christ. They are brethren. They're believers in God's family. And this is who Paul is addressing. This is who Paul wants to understand what's going on in his life so that they would be encouraged and, as we'll see, empowered by God to go forth and speak his word. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, to know. The the term to know speaks of coming to understand, realizing, understanding something, comprehending. I want you to comprehend what has happened. I want you to comprehend or know, and I want you to comprehend, brethren, and what does he want them to comprehend? That my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now what we're going to see is that Paul wants these Philippians to know that his circumstances brought about a resulting pioneer advance in the gospel. That's what he's going to want them to know. And so he shares this, first of all. He shares about his circumstances. And these Philippians were concerned for him. The Apostle Paul loves them. They were concerned. You know, see, the Apostle Paul was in chains. And they had sent Epaphras to minister to him. Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. Verse 25 of chapter 2. This is while Paul is in prison in Rome. They sent Epaphras. This is a long way, by the way. A long way. No, no trains, no planes, no automobiles. Its horses are walking, most likely, for Epaphras. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, excuse me, Epaphroditus, not Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. He's the guy you sent to send information about you guys and to minister to my need. He was a man who the Philippians sent to see how Paul was doing, to send a message to them, to minister to him in his imprisonment. It's, an, it's, it's obviously clear that this church was concerned for Paul in his imprisonment. You know, if you think about it, you know, we hear of pastors who are in jail, the one guy in Iran, I think it was. Uh, if you knew them personally, you'd be concerned about how they're doing. How are they doing? How, how are they doing? And they were concerned about the Apostle Paul. And I believe the Apostle Paul is responding to this here. He is concerned what they might be thinking. Maybe even that the gospel is at a roadblock now that he's in prison. Maybe that his ministry has kind of come to a standstill now that he's in prison. They knew he was appointed an apostle. They knew what God had called him to do. But now he's in chains. Is that all changed now? And so the Apostle Paul says... I want you to know, I want you to comprehend or understand, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You know, brothers and sisters, we can so often see our circumstances as impeding the work of God. We, we, we sometimes have an understanding of how we think God's work. Now, God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and yet we sometimes think they are, don't we, Right? But it's, it's quite possible that these Philippians were concerned, concerned and Paul is wanting to write them to, to calm their concerns about his situation or his circumstances specifically. And what were his circumstances specifically? What were they? He says here, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. We'll talk about that greater progress in a minute. But notice what his circumstances are. Look at verse 13. So that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ. The term imprisonment it literally speaks of bonds or chains. That's really what it is. And that's translated in prison. And that's what's happened. If you're in chains, you're, you've been imprisoned, right? He says they've turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, these circumstances. And back in verse 12, he says that my circumstances are literally the things concerning me. The things concerning me, the Apostle Paul. And we, we would say that's his circumstances, right? The things concerning me. Now, your New King James has the, the phrase, has happened to me. And I don't really like that translation. It's not close to what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying the things about me, not the things that have happened to me, as though things are just happening willy-nilly, right? Uh, it's not, things don't just happen to believers, by the way. God is sovereign over those things, and Paul is going to relay that in how he speaks, and the words that he uses, and the words that he uses. So his circumstances, or the things that have happened to him, or, or no, that's not the best way to say it, or things according to the things about me, concerning me, what is it? It's his imprisonment. It's in prison. That's what they're wondering about. How are you doing, Paul? How are you doing in your imprisonment? How's the ministry going? How are you doing? So here we see the Apostle Paul was speaking of the things concerning him. And by the way, on a side note, the Apostle Paul was never focused on his own life, by the way. He was focused on the new life that he had in Christ. You see, when you're following Christ, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Indeed, in Acts chapter 20, turn to Acts chapter 20. This is, uh, this is Paul speaking, inspired by the Spirit, prophetically of what's going to happen to him. What's going to happen to him. And if we know these things in advance, then we can be prepared as we follow Jesus and trust him when things happen to us as believers. As believers. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. The Apostle Paul says, And now behold... Bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. The Spirit of God was revealing to the Spirit of God was revealing to Paul. He was revealing to Paul that bonds and afflictions 
were awaiting him in every city. And guess what? He was in fetters here. No doubt about that. And we know uh, that the Apostle Paul recognized within that. Notice the next phrase. He says, he says in Acts 20, verse 24, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I don't hold my life dear. And the reason why, in order that I might finish the course, he says here, that I might finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. The Apostle Paul, as we'll see next week, Lord willing, understood to live as Christ. It was about his will. So he didn't consider these circumstances really about him. And so often we do that. How's what's going on in your life? Well, it's all really about us, usually, unfortunately, right? But the Apostle is sharing it in light of what God is doing in those circumstances. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is I, it is, it is I, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. We see the Apostle Paul understood this. So Paul is talking about the circumstances for following Jesus Christ. The circumstances that came about for obeying the Lord. And it's really important that we see that. Because so often we can have difficulties, and maybe they're because we're disobeying the Lord. Whether it's relationally, financially, uh, at work, whatever it might be. We've, we've done things that are not in accordance with God's Word, and we are suffering. But that's not suffering for Christ. There's no credit for those, if you're treated harshly, you know, if, because you did something wrong, right? And you suddenly endure it. But here we see that the Apostle Paul is suffering for following Christ, for obeying Him. You see, folks, if you're in financial difficulty because of sin, confess it, be forgiven, endure the consequences, and move forward and follow Jesus. If you're in relational difficulty because you've sinned, confess it, be forgiven, endure the consequences, and move forward. Sometimes God's gracious. If you're in difficulty at work because you're not doing a good job, confess your sin, endure it, and move forward. There's no credit if we sin and we endure it, right? There's no credit from God. But now when we're walking rightly, forgiven, then the Lord can use us. And the circumstances that do come upon us, maybe relationally, financially, or at work or whatever it might be, then we know God is in it. And we can trust that when we come upon circumstances, that these circumstances are because of following the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul's circumstances here was that he was imprisoned. Look at verse 13 back in our passage. So that my imprisonment, notice what he says, in the cause of Christ. That's why, by the way, my imprisonment, fetters, bonds, chains. Well, we know in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, the Apostle Paul set foot in Jerusalem, having been warned by the Holy Spirit. I read that back in Acts 20. Indeed, he was falsely accused by his own people, Acts 21, 28. He was nearly killed by the Jews. He ended up in prison. And then having narrowly escaped flogging and only pleading for his citizenship, Acts 22, then having a plot from the Jews to kill him, he was transferred to Caesarea, only to be tried before Felix and Festus, appealing to Caesar and then defending himself before King Agrippa, all the while testifying of Jesus. And if this was not enough, he had his sea voyage to Rome. He was shipwrecked and then finally arrives in Rome. And then in Luke, Luke speaks of his Roman imprisonment in Acts 28. Turn to Acts chapter 28. Paul is in chains and he's gone through a lot. But it's because of Jesus, not because of sin. It's because of Jesus. And when that's the case in your life as a believer, there's some amazing things that happen if we see things rightly. Acts chapter 28, verse 16. And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who was guarding him, okay? Uh, He had a soldier. He had a soldier probably chained right to him because he talks about chains. Then look down at verse 30. 
in Acts 28. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, and he was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. This imprisonment, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, and he is open to share the word of God. Later on, in 2 Timothy, we're going to see a little difference where he's imprisoned, and it's not as open. It's not as open. He knows his time is coming, 2 Timothy, as he's at the end of his life. Look at uh, Philemon, um, verse 10. Philemon, verse 10. Philemon, verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who was formerly useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart. You see, uh, Philemon was Onesimus's owner, and Onesimus had obviously run away, and he'd come to Christ, and he's turning back. He's, Paul's doing the right thing here. He's, and then he's imploring Philemon to do the right thing in Christ. And he says here, And I have sent him back to you in person. That is, I'm sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that in your behalf he might minister to me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for what? For the gospel. Paul was in chains for speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. He's imprisonment for the gospel. We see that here. He says his bonds literally in Christ back in Philippians chapter 1 verse 13. He is in chains for the gospel, the ministry of the gospel. But yet he says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. My chains, my imprisonment, the confining of me have turned out for the greater prospect, pros, progress of the gospel. The Philippians might have thought Paul hit a roadblock, block, the gospel's being hindered. The exact opposite. The exact opposite. Folks, what circumstances are dominating you? What circumstances are binding you? What circumstances has God chained you to? Not because of sin. We talked about sin. We, sometimes we have circumstances we're chained to. We confess that. We're forgiven. We move forward. And God is gracious. But what circumstances has he chained you to, in essence, that you have not done anything to bring about? Could it be a sickness, a disease, a disability? Could it be a family situation, a relational situation? Have you been chained to a difficult work situation? Mothers, do you feel chained to the task of raising your kids? Whatever it might be. You can't get free, right? You are stuck in this situation. What situation has God allowed to bind you, to chain you? Well, folks, we need to learn that when God binds us, when God chains us, then he is doing things that are much greater, and we need to understand that he is working through those things. And the Apostle Paul understood that even in this imprisonment, that his chains have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. The very thing that brought about the advancement of his word was his being chained. Folks, we need to realize that because we can lean on our own understanding and say, man, if I was only not in this situation, if it was only this or that, how I could serve the Lord, whatever it might be. Apostle Paul says the opposite. He says the opposite. I want you to know. He saw his circumstances rightly, and we need to be encouraged by that because we can so easily see our circumstances wrong. We can so easily be discouraged. And believe me, Paul had human uh, reason to be discouraged. Chained? Yes, None of us are chained, I don't believe. I don't see anyone with chains on, right? The reality is the Apostle Paul had very much reason, humanly speaking, to be discouraged. But he's saying, hey, God has done the opposite. God has done the opposite. Notice the results of his imprisonment. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. His chains, he's saying, have turned out for that. The term progress, uh, one uh, lexicon shares, uh, he says, 
it, it says that basically it means to cut before. It spoke of those woodcutters who would cut a trail through an impenetrable forest. They would cut this trail so that the army could come through. It's, it's pioneering progress. It's not simply progress, it's progress that is pioneering. He says it has turned out for the pioneering progress or advancement of the gospel. And you might be saying, well, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We have a, a definition. There's, there's much more to it, but we have a simple definition in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved. He said, he said, uh, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that he appeared to cephas then 12 and he goes on that christ died for our sins you see the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord he who commits sin is slave to sin and if you die in your sins you will go to hell but Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was led to the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He paid the full penalty in our place. And God accepted that payment. He died. He went into the grave and he rose on the third day. Jesus died for our sins. Inherent in the gospel is the fact that we are sinners in big trouble. Inherent in the gospel is that God sent his son in our place the Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings, and Lord of lords suffered for us for the glories to follow. He died for our sins. It's the good news concerning Jesus because the bad news is that you're a sinner, that we all have sinned, that each one of us has done wrong. We've fought wrong. We've done wrong. When we Initially, we're ashamed of those things. but We get more hardened that we're sinners. But God reached down in his love and sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. He took on human flesh. He died for our sins. And if you're willing to humble yourself, because pride's in the way, by the way. People say, I don't believe, I don't know, I don't that. It's pride. You're not willing to admit you're a sinner in deep trouble. If you admit you're a sinner in deep trouble and believe what God says, that Jesus died for your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Apostle Paul is suffering, but he says this imprisonment has brought about the pioneering progress of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Tremendous reality. You know, folks, we can become so selfish and so self-centered as believers, not recognizing what Christ wants to do in our lives and around us. The Apostle Paul understood this, and we need to learn and be encouraged by what we hear today. And notice what this pioneering progress is. We'll see that in a second. It has to do with this gospel going out throughout a whole area. So his circumstances resulted in the pioneering progress. And so often, brothers and sisters, we see our circumstances in light of ourselves. We say it like this, God's doing a work on me. It's about me, about me. Well, yes, that's true, but, but God is often doing things more than just us, and it's about others. It's about his plan, his purposes, his glory. It's more than just making you like Jesus and me like Jesus. It's more than that. And Paul says there were pioneering advancements of the gospel, the gospel. He doesn't say, I really grew in my faith in this imprisonment. That's probably true. The point, he's about what God is doing, what God is doing. So what man would see as a hindrance, what believers might uh, lean on their own understanding trying to get out of, the Apostle Paul says, has turned out to bring pioneering advance of the gospel. And Paul understood this, and he desires to share this with the Philippians and God by his spirit to through this passage to us. 
So now let's take a look at some of the specifics Paul gives of this pioneering advance of the gospel. Look at uh, verse 12 again in Philippians 1. Now I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances, that's this imprisonment, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ, it's about Jesus, it's not just about spilling the gospel, but it's about obeying Jesus and sharing Christ, right? He says here, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. This is a tremendous statement if you know what's being said here. At the point, the Apostle Paul had ministered, as you look in Acts, to Jews and Gentiles, with a few exceptions in Acts. Some, some went before Agrippa and Felix and Festus, right? Um, but now, because of his chains, he says, middle of verse 13, Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. This isn't the Roman Empire. This is the empire that's over the earth at this time. They're completely over the earth. And he says it's been well known. Now, this term Praetorian could speak of the headquarters of a Roman field camp. It could speak of a Roman governor's residence or palace. It could speak of the emperor's palace guard in Rome. Now, I clearly believe that's what it's speaking of here. This is speaking of the, the, the emperor's elite soldiers, about a thousand of them, guarding his household and all his, his places where he's around. The Praetorian. And how can I say that? Look in chapter 4, verse 22. I believe it has to do with Caesar and his guard, his, his elite guard. Paul says, all the saints greet you, especially those who belong to what? Caesar's household. This is an amazing thought that the word of God has permeated the the household of the Roman Empire, emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, this Praetorian guard were his personal bodyguards. They consisted of several thousand elite Roman soldiers stationed at key residences of the empire in, in Rome. Now, on a side note, even though the emperor considered Paul his prisoner, Paul understood that he was a prisoner of Christ. Look at verse 13. So that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ is because of Jesus. Now, we can ascertain from Acts 28 that Paul was chained to one of these elite Praetorian guard 24 hours a day in his own rented quarters for two years. We read this earlier. You can look in Acts 28. Chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And historically, they would switch their guard every four to six hours. And can you imagine for two years the rotation uh, of these guards and who, what's your, what's your job tonight, uh, uh, Felix or Festus? What's your job? Well, I'm going over to that guy, Saul or Paul, whatever his name is. I'm going to watch him. I got to get chained to him. Oh yeah, I was there last week. Uh, he sure talked a lot about that guy who was crucified. You know, no one raises from the dead, but he says he did. We can just imagine what he did. We know he shared the gospel. We know he shared the gospel because a text reveals that. And he says here, all the saints from chapter 4, verse 22, greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There were those who came to faith in Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul sharing the gospel while he is in chains. Tremendous, wonderful reality. If we would just see our chains rightly, if we would just see them rightly, the situations God has chained us to for following Jesus. If we just see them rightly. Well, if an unbeliever were chained to you, I'm not talking about believers, what would they hear? We all have unsaved chained to us, relatives, spouses, children, family, co-workers, schoolmates. Have they heard about Christ? Have they seen him in your life? They're chained to you. Have they seen him? The Apostle Paul says here that his chains brought about the knowledge of Christ throughout the whole Praetorian. And we believe they came to faith, as I mentioned. All the saints greet you, chapter 4, 22, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. They became saints. They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tremendous. Back in chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel Gospel, so that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known, well known throughout the whole Praetorian 
guard and to everyone else. Well, who's everyone else? Who's everyone else? Quite possibly it's the rest of Caesar's household besides the guards, because remember there were those in Caesar's household that came to faith? Quite possibly. In the second century, a Roman historian, Tertullian, I think that's how you say it, wrote that the Roman government was greatly disturbed because it discovered so many Christians in power and full and authoritative positions. Very interesting. Many of those were eventually executed, by the way. But at this point, Paul is allowed to share the gospel freely. We see in Acts 28, and God is using it for his glory. Using it for his glory. In pioneering advance of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ permeating the household of the emperor of the known world. All because in obedience, Paul saw his chains not of Rome, but of Christ. Look what Paul tells uh, Timothy a few years later. This is when he's bound, and it's a little different imprisonment. But look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. He says in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought immortality to life, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I suffer these things things i also suffer these things for this reason right you can keep reading how about you do you see your difficulties that god has changed you to you've been obedient you've done the right thing as that which god will advance his word in advance his word in tremendous wonderful realities now notice this also instilled courage in others not only was paul encouraged but it instilled courage in others and he wants to share this with them look back at our passage now i want you to know brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment for the cause of christ has been become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else and that notice this most of the brethren trusting in the lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of god without fear you see, Paul's example has emboldened true believers to speak the gospel because of what God is doing. Now, the, I usually prefer the NESB translation here, but I don't think it's the best reading. It says, those who are trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. I, I don't think, I don't think uh, it's because uh, he's speaking about them coming to Christ because of their imprisonment. I actually think they've been given confidence and persuaded to then share the gospel because of his imprisonment. And how can I say that? Notice the word trusting here is not our normal word in Greek for faith, pistis or pistuo. It is the Greek, it is a Greek word, uh, patho. It's the Greek word patho, which means being persuaded or confident. Persuaded or confident. Thus, I think the New King James does a better job doing this, and I have a translation here. And that most of the brethren, having become confident in the Lord by my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. They become confident because of what God has done in the Apostle Paul through his chains. And folks, we should become confident too from this example. We should look at it, and it should give us confidence it should persuade us of what God do, does in the midst of difficulties. So what he's saying here is as an unexpected result of Paul's circumstances was an outpouring of confident, fearless, as we're going to see, proclamation of the word of God. One uh, pastor translates it this way. The great majority of believers come to a state of settled confidence in the Lord have become influenced by the gentle persuasion of my shackles to take the step of confidence and more abundantly bold and fearlessly break silence and share the word of God. 
Notice what he says. Now I want you to know, brethren, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorium that most of the brethren trusting in, or better said, be having become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Without fear. See, fear is the issue. We fear what people will do. And now here, this was a time in Rome where they weren't going to get, maybe, well, they could get arrested. Paul got arrested, by the way. But they weren't going to be executed right away. But Caesar was the God. And you're speaking about another king, another king, uh, Jesus, right? So it was a dangerous time to speak, but yet it wasn't like it would be in, in two or so years when Nero would come in, where many Christians would be killed for sharing Christ. But it was still dangerous. And there was fear. There was fear. And for you and I, you know, we don't have that fear. We are not going to jail for sharing Christ right now in America. And that may come, but you're not going to go to jail for sharing the gospel. But we have the fear of how is someone going to respond, right? Let's be honest. We fear. Are they going to reject it? Are they going to think we're weird? What are they, you know, we have those fears. And here we see that they had become, because of Paul's imprisonment, confident, confident in the Lord, not in themselves, but in the Lord, to speak the word of God without fear, or literally fearlessly. You know, the term to have far more, to have far more courage, or the term actually here uh, speaks of really literally to dare abundantly. They dared abundantly to speak the word of God with fearlessly. Have you ever dared abundantly to speak the word of God fearlessly? Now, I'm talk, talking about just throwing it out and sharing it in every situation. I'm talking about discernment as the Lord leads and opens those doors to share Christ. To dare abundantly to speak the word of God. Amazing thought. They were empowered, confidence in the Lord to speak the word of God fearlessly. And don't miss it, it's the word of God that was spoken here. It was the word of God, as Paul would share, the gospel. And on a side note, do you know the word of God? Do you know the word that you could speak the word of God? They spoke the word of God. Could you share the truth of God from his word to someone else rather than paraphrasing? Yes, we do paraphrase the gospel. That's okay. But could you share the word of God? Do you know that the wages of sin is death? Do you know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Do you know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life? Could you share the word of God to someone else if the Lord opens the door? Well, these are believers here. They've only been believers for 10 years or so or less. Even less. A lot less, actually, because they came to faith when Paul was there. For two years, they're able to share the word of God. Share the word of God. Fearlessly. How about you and I? Do you have the boldness and confidence in Christ, not in yourself, to share? This passage should encourage you and build you up to do so. Looking at what God did through Paul and these people should encourage us also and bring confidence in the Lord to share, dare, to dare, in a sense, abundantly, to share fearlessly. Fearlessly. No fear in sharing the truth. You know, the early church was like this. Look at Acts chapter 4. The apostle Peter and John, they had been imprisoned or taken into custody and they were let go um, because they had healed a, a guy and they were let go and, and all the church begins to pray. Notice what they pray. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And when they had been released, that's Peter and John, they went, up, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard, their, the, heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord, send lawyers to work over these people, right? That's not what they say. Oh, Lord, it is thou that didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in, in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, thy servant, did say. They know the word of God, by the way who did say, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou did anoint, both 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence. Well, the Lord answers that prayer, and they're shook, and they says later on in the same passage that they spoke the word with confidence. Folks, we often lack confidence. Now, some people have a lot of confidence in their speaking abilities or in their gospel system. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about confidence in the Lord to share the gospel to those who don't know Christ. This should encourage us, because I think we all lack in this area, if you're honest. I think we all lack confidence at times to share the gospel with those around us, daring abundantly to share fearlessly. But what God did was, through this, he brought about a tremendous result. Not only of people hearing the gospel, but believers being encouraged to share the gospel. The Philippians were concerned that maybe Paul's chains were hindering his gospel ministry, that God's word may not advance, but this is not how God works. Folks, don't lean on your own understanding concerning your circumstances. Again, if you're chained to some circumstance, don't lean on your own understanding, whatever it is. If it's not for sin, God has sovereignly led you into it. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust in him and be emboldened in Christ to dare abundantly to speak the word fearlessly. Paul saw his circumstances as part of God's grand plan to spread the word. Do you? Although he was imprisoned, the word was not imprisoned. 2 Timothy 2.8 Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, a descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. It's not imprisoned. Is the word of God imprisoned in you because of your attitude towards your circumstances? Is the word of God imprisoned because you fear or you're self-focused? Is it imprisoned? Well, here we see the word of God is not imprisoned. But notice, even the Apostle Paul has to qualify his statement because there's even sinners within the ranks of believers that might even cause the Philippians to wonder, well, what's going on here? What's going on here? Look at verse 15 back in our passage. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from good will. Now, obviously, this is referring back to the many brethren who have been emboldened by Paul's advance of the gospel in Christ uh, to speak the word fearlessly. And within that group of those who have been emboldened, believers, by the way, believers, he says brethren, many of the brethren, there's some within that that he needs to qualify. He needs to qualify about some of those within that group. Notice he says, verse 15, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from good will. Very interesting statement. Paul reveals the reality of our sinful world and how sin can even infect in the midst of something good. But God is still going to use it for good. Notice he says that even his detractors, as we're going to see, that have arisen because of his imprisonment are also going to bring glory to him. Notice he says in verse 15 that there are some preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Yikes. Later on he's going to say whether in pretense or truth. Pretense is a manufactured, a manufactured kind of what you look like to hide something else underneath. He says, preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Envy is jealousy over the good of another. Do you see that in churches? Do you see people who may be jealous of someone with a spiritual gift and they want to do that? Do you see that? Yes, we do, don't we? It is jealousy or it is, it is jealousy over the good of another. Strife here is an interesting word because it not only speaks of just you know conflict, it speaks of rivalries. Rivalries. 
These guys are ministry rivals. Ministry rivals. They're believers, but they're doing it out of the wrong motives. Evidently, there were some preaching Christ had been emboldened because of Paul, his imprisonment in Christ, but they envied Paul, and they were ministry, sadly, ministry rivals. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but, also, but some also from goodwill. He's going to say someone had caused distress in his imprisonment. That's the sad part. There were some preaching from goodwill and some preaching from bad motives. Bad motives. Desiring to elevate themselves. They were jealous of the attention, obviously, Paul had received. They were jealous. Now let's compare the two groups. First, the bad. Verse 15. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife or rivalry. Okay? And then verse 17 sheds light. The former, that's speaking of them, proclaim Christ out of what? Selfish ambition. Rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Wow. And these are believers. Because he said earlier, brethren were more empowered. And they said some of which within that group. Well, believers do sin, don't they? But it's ugly. He says, we see their motives, verse 15, out of envy and strife, rivalry with Paul, and then selfish ambition, that's, that's desiring to elevate themselves. He says they do it off, they do it, notice what he says, verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Wow, they actually wanted to distress Paul. That's ugly and sinful envies fueled by selfish ambition. Don't ever let that happen, brothers and sisters. If you are jealous of someone in the body of Christ, confess it right now. Confess it. Confess it. Don't envy other people's gifts. Don't envy the results you see in other ministries, whatever it might be. Don't do that. Don't envy the success of other churches, whatever it might be. Don't do that. It's sin. It's sin. Don't do that. And wow, could these be believers? Yes, they could. Remember, he called them brethren in 14. Notice they proclaimed the word of God, end of 14, and then they proclaimed Christ in verse 15. Again, never compare, never envy others in ministry. It leads to hurtful ugliness. And if you have done it, confess it. If you have done it, confess it. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. There are some emboldened to preach, notice, out of good will, good desire. They want to preach Christ for, for good, for good. That's what motivates them, a good will or good desire. And notice he says, the latter do it out of love. That's love for Christ and love for one another. They love God. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And, he, and they're preaching out of love. That's the right motive. Remember the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, the goal of our instruction is love, our pure heart. He says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. They know what I've been appointed for, that the defense of the gospel. They know why I'm in chains. They understand this reason. They're not jealous of me. They're not rivalries. They know what God is doing. They understand that. Notice they preach Christ from good desires stems from a biblical love. Biblical love. God had allowed it. They understood that God allowed his imprisonment for the defense of the gospel. They weren't mocking Paul. They understood it. And so they're preaching. And then notice we have this, this conclusion here in, in, uh, in the end of verse 17, or verse 18. What then? What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. The term pretense means what is made up to hide the intent to others. They're pretending a certain way. You're going to say pretend, pretense, right? What's made up. And he says whatever reason, pretense or truth, that points to the rightful, loving, true motives. He gives this very curious statement. Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will, I, this I rejoice, yes, I rejoice. This is an interesting statement. And as I came to it, you know, when we, when we come to the Word of God, sometimes we're so literal in our minds that we can't 
factor in the reality that even within believers there are sinners, right? That may do something that is partially right and partially wrong. Or maybe from the wrong motives, but actually the result God may use. We don't give it glory. We don't say it's good. How could Paul rejoice in the gospel being spoken by those with wrong motives trying to hurt him? Very interesting statement. First of all, these are sinning brethren, not false teachers. These are sinning brethren, not false teachers. Okay, They were proclaiming Christ. They were proclaiming the word of God. They were sharing, obviously in context, an accurate gospel about Jesus Christ. It was not a false gospel. They were proclaiming the truth that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. They were doing it for the wrong motives, but proclaiming the right gospel. You see, because Paul everywhere else strongly condemns the wrong gospel. If they were proclaiming a wrong gospel, he would say, let them be accursed. Later on in chapter 3, look at chapter 3 of Philippians. If these were proclaiming, they're just doing it for the wrong motives. Paul knows their motives. He's inspired by the Spirit. He knows what's going on underneath, right? Now, we don't know people's motives, but he does here. Inspired by the Spirit. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoiced in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Beware of the bad guys. If these guys were false teachers, he would have said, beware of these false guys. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. In chapter 1 of Galatians, he says, if anyone brings a different gospel, let him be accursed. Let him go to hell. Worse sin. Terrible sin. So obviously the gospel they're spoken of by these sinning believers with wrong motives was not flesh, was a, was not a flesh-driven, seeker-sensitive, felt-need, Christ-plus perversion of the gospel. It wasn't that. It was an accurate gospel from sinning believers. And so the Apostle Paul can rejoice because of the message that was going out. He knew their motives. You may not see their motives, but he knew their motives. So he could rejoice. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, in truth, Christ is proclaimed, preached. You see, Paul understood the power of God's word, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He understood that. And what was his result? What was the result of this? And in this, end of verse 18, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Now the Apostle Paul would obviously address direct sin, but he's talking about the motives of people here. And underneath it, he knows they're trying to hurt him, some. But within those group of being emboldened, there were those who were doing it out of goodwill. And by and large, the entire result was that the gospel was propagating. And it was being, it was people dared abundantly to speak fearlessly. And he rejoiced over that. Well, how about us? Do we see our circumstances rightly? For some of you, you need to see the fact you're a sinner on the way to hell, but God's gracious. He sent his son Jesus. Turn to him. We sang that psalm, song earlier. Only trust him. Only trust him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He leads you to life. He leads you from death to life. What about other situations? Has God allowed you to be imprisoned by things? You may be bound by some things. If they're because of your wrong actions humble yourself and admit it confess it god is a good gracious merciful god he will forgive you move forward with consequences maybe by his grace not you never know move forward david had consequences trust the lord trust the lord and as you follow him when you encounter things because you have obeyed the lord recognize that god uses that for good what has god chained you to What are you chained to? Where you think it's hindering your walk with Jesus or the ministry. It's not. It's not. Be encouraged and emboldened 
to share the gospel fearlessly as God opens the doors. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage, and we fall so short and we forget so easily, and we are so self-focused at times. And Lord, I thank you for this wake-up that looking at what you did through the Apostle Paul's life brought about true believers being uh, encouraged and confident to dare abundantly to share you fearlessly. Lord, I pray it would encourage us to the same thing. I pray seeing what you did with Paul would encourage us to, to dare abundantly to speak fearlessly as you open the doors. Pray we would share your word. That's what it is. We would share the gospel of your son, Jesus. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this encouragement. We pray this in Jesus' name.